0: want to read to you tonight from Mark chapter 5 as we will pick up again in our series in, in the gospel of Mark. I want to start back here in Mark chapter 5, the very end of that chapter, verses 21 to 43, so if you'd like to, feel free to follow along. And when Jesus had crossed again the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Talitha Kumi which means little girl I say to you arise and immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was twelve years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat so we as I said we're resuming our, our series in the gospel of Mark after taking a four week break through the month of September to renew our vision and our values as a church, and we find ourselves uh, at the very end of a series of episodes that began at the end of mark chapter four, where Jesus calmed the sea. and from the end of chapter four, after calming the sea, we saw uh, when Jesus heals the demoniac in the first half of chapter five. and here we end the chapter chapter five with these Two stories. The story about Jairus and this woman. And there are two central features to this section these episodes around the sea. The two common themes in these stories are fear and faith. And both of those themes feature significantly at the end of chapter five. And here we have these two stories. And the way Mark tells it, there's an inner story and an outer story. The inner story is the story about a woman who has, for some 12 years, has suffered from internal bleeding. And the outer story is the story about Jairus, who is a local ruler in the synagogue. He this is not a, he's not a Pharisee or a religious leader, but he is. And at that time they had uh, rulers in the synagogue who planned the services and basically took care of the daily operations of the synagogue. And so he was a probably a fairly well-known person in Capernaum, which is back in the general area where Jesus is on the side of the sea. And Jairus comes and he has a 12-year-old daughter and she is at the very end of her life. Mark doesn't tell us what has happened or why that's the case. It's just that she is in the very last moments of her life and Jairus comes to Jesus. So you have these two stories. There's an inner story and there's an outer story. And Mark, he combines these two stories in order to show us how Jesus graciously and powerfully can move us from fear to faith in him. Mark weaves these stories together to show us how Jesus moves us from fear to faith in him. And so how I want to do this is to try to follow Mark's lead where he uses the inner story about this woman to teach us about faith and particularly teach Jairus about faith. And what we see him do here is he teaches us Three things. He teaches us the strengthening of faith, how Jesus strengthens this woman's faith. We see here the test of faith in the story of Jairus. And then I want you to see at the end, through both of these two stories, the Savior of faith. So, first, let's look together at the strengthening of faith. The story here begins with an urgent request that is only almost immediately interrupted by a seemingly ridiculous question. That Jairus comes to Jesus imploring him, asking him to come to his house that he would lay his hands on his daughter so that she might live. And Jesus agrees. And as the passage tells us it says that he went with him in verse 24 and then Mark describes this great crowd that's following Jesus and thronging about him. And as that's happening, Jesus asks this question in verse 30. They're going along and he perceives, he recognizes that power has gone out from him. It's an unusual phrase, but then he asks this question, Who touched me? And the disciples are, are incredulous. They're, they're like, What do you mean, who touched you? There are all these people around you. They're bumping into you. All kinds of people have touched you. And Jesus, though, as it were, ignores them. And in verse 32, he starts looking. Now imagine this. Jairus has just come. And he's imploring Jesus, Come save my child. And Jesus stops on the way and asks a question that no one understands. And not only that, he, ke- he starts looking in a multitude of people for who knows who. Jairus, if I were him, I, I would... It, it, like, what are you doing, Jesus? I need you to come, and I need you to come now. And Jesus looks, and as he does... There's this woman. She realizes what has happened. And Mark tells us that she comes in fear and trembling. And she tells Jesus the whole truth. And again, you have to wonder, what's Jairus thinking? Well, this woman, she's been sick for 12 years. Could it not wait just 30 minutes after Jesus comes and Takes care of my daughter, he can come back and take care of her. But this woman tells Jesus the whole truth, and Jesus listens. She tells him that for 12 years she has had this problem, that she has spent everything that she has. She has been to every physician she knows, she's tried every cure. And it is not only has it not gotten better, it has only gotten worse. And in fact, any first century Jew Jew reading this story would see in this woman, not just a woman who has a physical ailment that no one can stop, but that she is also ritually unclean. You can look in Leviticus chapter 15 where has... All these rules about what is needed in order to enter into God's presence. And one of them talks about bleeding. Bodily discharges. It's very sort of earthy and kind of squeamish. But this woman, essentially not, almost identical to the leper we saw in chapter, chapter one, she is unclean. And has been so for twelve years. She has been essentially cut off from the worshiping community of God's people and cut off socially for 12 years. So, but why then does Jesus stop and search for this woman? And the reason is he wanted her to know why she was healed. She tells us here, Mark tells us in her, almost in her voice, in verse 28. She says, if I just touch his garments, I will be made well. Jesus wants this woman to know it's not his garments. It's not a superstitious miracle that saves her. But notice what Jesus says in verse 30. He corrects her almost and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And we've talked about this uh, earlier, but let me uh, briefly point it out again that faith always looks outside of yourself. Biblical faith never looks inside to find strength and power. It always looks outside of yourself. Faith biblically is transferring all hope Confidence and trust in your ability or anyone else's, except for Jesus, and transferring all of that and placing it wholly on Him. That's what He wanted her to see. So that when He says to her, Your faith has made you well, what He's saying is, Because you have, you are utterly hopeless and helpless. Your faith is located, it's lodged in me, and that's the kind of faith that saves, that makes whole. But not only did he want her to know why she was healed, he also wanted to have a relationship with her. It's not enough for Jesus to come and do amazing things, perform miracles, things that draw an enormous crowd. That is not why he came. He came and did all of those things in order to win us to himself. One writer puts it like this. The persistence of Jesus in discovering who touched him rivals the woman's persistence in reaching Jesus. She wants a cure. She wants a something. Whereas Jesus desires a personal encounter with someone. He is not content to dispatch a miracle. He wants to encounter a person. In the kingdom of God, miracles leads to meeting. You see, discipleship is not simply getting our needs met. It's being in the presence of Jesus. Being known by Him and following Him. You see, Jesus wanted a relationship this with this woman. She hadn't had one for twelve years. And he, she needed to hear him say to her words of affection. She is the only person in the gospels who is called daughter. It's a familial term of intimacy and love. He needed she needed to hear him say a word of blessing on her. Jesus says in verse 34, "Go in peace." Literally it means go into peace. Your life has been ravaged. There's been disintegration and breakdown. You have come to me, you have found me. You are now whole. Go in peace. Now ironically about this whole story, Mark, again, this is the inner story. This encounter with this woman And it's intended to teach Jairus and us a lesson about faith. Mark tells this story in such a way that the woman, not Jairus, is the one who exemplifies faith, who who models faith for us. Notice this for just a moment, the, the dissimilarities here between Jairus and the woman. The one thing that they have in common is they are both utterly helpless. They have nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. But there are several dissimilarities. Jairus has a name and a position. He has the clout to summon Jesus to his house. The woman has no name. She has no position. She only has her shame. Jairus approaches Jesus face to face, which is to say he is a person of status and privilege, whereas the woman approaches Jesus from behind, anonymously, secretly. But the irony here is that she is actually the one in the story who exhibits what real faith looks like. Despite her embarrassing circumstances, she pushes through both crowd and disciples to reach Jesus. Her gender, her namelessness, her uncleanness, and her shame, none of those things stop her from reaching Jesus. She is a model of what it looks like to look outside yourself, whatever you have in your life, and to search out Jesus. See, and so the woman discovers a welcoming Savior who wants to know her. So just as Jesus finishes, though, speaking to this woman and blessing her, Jairus' worst fear becomes a reality. A messenger comes from his home with the news, Your daughter is dead. So he's just seeing this encounter between Jesus and this woman, and he gets this news. And the question now is how will he respond, which brings us to the the test of faith. Will he respond like the messengers who essentially say, don't bother the teacher anymore, there is no more hope. Will Jairus just perceive and see Jesus like any other teacher, like the messengers do? Does Jairus' understanding of what faith in Jesus looks like, is it really only good for this life? Is coming to Jesus really only good for life as you and I see it? Or when there are things like death, does Jesus have anything to say? And you have to wonder, what is Jairus thinking here? Mark doesn't give us really any window in other than simply to put yourself in the place of a father who's lost a child. And Jesus is there. What would you do? What would you say? But he doesn't say anything. Instead, Jesus addresses him. Jesus overhears, verse 36, what these messengers have said, and it's a very interesting word that Mark chooses here that's translated overhearing. It can mean at least one of three things. It can mean to overhear something that wasn't intended for you. It can also mean to ignore. And it also can mean to essentially say to dismiss it as these that what was said isn't really true. And in fact, all three are true in this moment. That Jesus, instead of entertaining what they're saying, immediately turns to Jairus and says to him, do not fear, only believe. He says, do not fear, only believe. Now, at first read, that could feel really, really insensitive. But when Jesus says, do not fear, do you know what he's saying? He's saying, look at me. I am stronger than death. Jesus is saying to Jairus, I know you just have received the worst news of your life. But do not fear. I am here. There is hope because I am here. And then he says, only believe, which is another way of acknowledging Jesus is saying to him, I know what this looks like to you, but trust me, despite the fact there is no discernible hope. Do not fear, only believe. And Jairus realizes he has no other option. He is driven to trust Jesus in his utter helplessness. And so they continue to go to Jairus' house. Jesus takes with them Peter, James, and John. And as they get to the house, they can hear weeping and crying, grief and sadness. And as they enter into the house, imagine Jairus as he enters into the house, how he might feel. And Jesus addresses the situation in verse 39 and 40 and says... Why are you weeping and wailing? He says the child is not dead but sleeping. It's as if Jesus is encouraging Jairus when he says to in this moment in the face of the grief and even as we see the disbelief because Jesus is laughed at for his statement. It raises, again, how will Jairus respond? Will he side with the mockers? Or will he side with Jesus? So when Jesus says the child is not dead but sleeping, Jesus is picking up on a theme elsewhere in the Bible where sleep is often used as a metaphor for death. But it's always used as a metaphor for death in a context that claims that death is not ultimate. And so Jesus here is saying something unique about this girl's situation because he is present. That death will not have the last word. It's as if Jesus has said to Jairus, Jairus, it's no more difficult for me to raise the dead than for you to wake your daughter from a nap. And Jairus, how will he respond? We see here in verse 40 and 41 that instead of siding with those who laughed at Jesus, Jairus, he sides with Jesus and he goes with Jesus into the very heart of his loss. Verse 40, Jesus puts all of those outside who laugh at what he has said. But he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Jesus walks right into the very heart of Jairus' loss. Jairus discovered that Jesus to be far more than a great teacher. But actually he discovered that he has met, he has gone to the one who who has power over life and death. And Jesus says to this young woman, Talitha Kumi, get up and walk. You see, this statement, do not fear, only believe, I think that seems, like I said, it seems impossible to do. And usually, I think in our experience, it's it said to us, or some variation like it, by someone outside of your situation trying to give you advice in what is for you a hopeless situation. But what I want you to see here is that when Jesus says, do not fear, only believe, it is said by someone who completely understands your situation from the inside. He's really the only person who has the right to say that to you and for you to take it seriously. Which brings us to the Savior of faith. So we've looked at the, the strengthening of the woman's faith, the testing of Jairus' faith, and now I want you to see the Savior of faith that stands behind this great Word, do not fear, only believe. Notice that first this word that Jesus gives, it comes after watching someone else in utter fear and hopelessness come to Jesus and receive healing and grace. Jesus doesn't say that to Jairus until after he has stood right next to Jesus as he encounters this woman. And sees in this woman a model of faith and the way in which Jesus seeks her out and desires a relationship with her at her most utter hopelessness. In other words, what we see here, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And he says that to you as one who knows just how to strengthen your faith and exactly how to test your faith in order that you might find Him to be your one true hope and confidence. But notice, secondly, that this word, do not fear, only believe, comes in between two touches that render Jesus ritually unclean. As I mentioned, this woman who's had this bleeding for a dozen years is unclean. And she touches Jesus. And then Jesus calls her out in this crowd. And it's obvious that he's been touched by her. But he does not become unclean. He actually cleanses her. And in the same way, Jesus touches this young woman. And according to the Old Testament and the ways in which ritual purity worked, if you touched a dead person or a dead corpse you became unclean and again the opposite happens instead of jesus becoming unclean taking on death on him he actually gives life to this young woman but what i want you to see here is that by touching the girl and publicly identifying with this woman jesus actually shares in their uncleanness in their death. Jesus has come to enter into the very saddest. And the most broken parts of their lives. And he gives them their lives back. See Jesus is not outside our situation. Speaking an impersonal word to us. This story shows us that Jesus actually shares in. What is most fundamentally broken. Broken. Which is most fundamentally not right with us. And therefore, this word, do not fear, only believe, comes as Jesus is on his way to the cross. These stories give us a vivid preview of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus would become unclean for us. That Jesus on the cross would bear God's judgment. He would endure our death for us in our place. You see, therefore this do not fear, only believe, comes to us from a crucified and risen and ascended Savior who will come back and He will make everything right. This comes to us from Jesus who is not afraid to be touched. Who willingly walks into the very center of your life by faith. The most tender, vulnerable, shameful, and guilt-ridden, broken parts. In order to give you your life back. That's the good news of Christianity. Is that we have a Savior like this. Do you know this Savior? Have you experienced by His grace what it is to be touched by Him? Are you fearful? Are you utterly hopeless? Don't wait to go to Him. Look at Jairus and this woman who both go to Him pleading for Him to do a great work in their lives. Take what you know of Him and run to Him. Ask Him to strengthen and test your faith in order that He might move you more and more from fear to faith in Him. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, this is an emotionally deep and and powerful passage. And you give us these passages that touch us and, and draw us out and help us to see and experience Your grace and Your mercy and Your kindness in perhaps ways that we might not otherwise. And Father, there is a lot of fear here. There's a lot of fear in our own hearts, in our own lives. And left to ourselves, we are are doomed to live in fear. And yet, Father, we ask that by Your grace, through the work of Jesus, You would move us from fear to faith. That You would help us to hear these words of Do not fear. Only believe that we would receive those words from a gentle, gracious, powerful Savior who would give His life for us so that we might have His life. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.